Amen. What a wonderful thing that we can look at the face of Jesus. We can look at his wonderful love for us. And then this world seems different because everything's all about him. And he is worth it. He is worth it. He is the true treasure. Well, that sort of ties in wonderfully with the theme of First Peter, right? That we as Christians are so in love with Christ and following him that we live differently from the world. So if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13 as we continue our series here in First and 2 Peter. And we're talking about standing firm, how we can stand firm in this age as Christians uh, when the world is far from God. And this is true as in the first century as it was the 20, as it is in the 21st century, that we are called to stand firm for the Lord. Uh, just speaking of that, kind of along the same lines of how we live differently in your chairs downstairs. Uh, or in the pews here, there was a gift there for you as you walked in. There's a little booklet uh, by Jonathan Lehman and Andy Nasilli. Very perfect in its timing. Uh, how can I love church members with different politics? Uh, there is a, a, just a nastiness uh, at this time of year every four years, unfortunately. And uh, the question is, how do we as believers love and live differently? Uh, I got to listen. There's a free audiobook available through Crossways Podcast. That you, if, you, if you listen to that sort of thing, that's free. Uh, I listened to it and thought, this is amazing and wanted to get it for everyone who would like it. Uh, if you don't want to read it, fine, pass it on to someone. But I encourage you to read it and then pass it on to someone because I believe actually you will i think it'll help you and encourage you it talks a, not just about politics but how do we think through uh, there's kind of a um uh what are first and secondary issues that we can agree on and what is the dividing line of what are maybe tertiary or even further issues that we can have grace with each other on and so this book talks a lot about that it is very helpful and I think what if we all read it really kind of wrestle with this maybe change our attitude maybe we can be a little salt and light during these days of, of the uh, political winds of our culture so I encourage you that's a free gift we hope that you will read it firstly and then after you read it that you pass it along to someone else well, today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at the challenge it is for us as believers to do what is right and what is good, even when it means for us to suffer. Boy, isn't this sort of uh, kind of timely for uh, what we stand for, what we live, how we live, what we do, how we talk, um, and and how do we receive it and do it within the pressures of this world? So let's read together 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll read verse 13 through 22. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that you are, when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who at the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of good conscience towards God through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have given us the word to encourage us during difficult days and even to prepare us in the good days that we might live faithfully during the difficult days. And so, Lord, I pray today that whether someone is watching downstairs in our fellowship hall or, or here in the sanctuary or at home, whatever days they are facing, whether it's good, whether it's hard, whether it's filled with persecution, whether it's filled with ease, may we all live to honor you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you, uh, from your parent, or maybe you as a parent, have talked to a child and said, you know, you need to be doing good. You should be doing what is right even when no one is around. You know, when the kids are in the playroom and they don't think that mom and dad is watching, there's that temptation that they can get by with whatever, as long as nobody sees it, right? But the opposite is true as well, that it's always right to do the right thing, even when people are watching. You know, there is a lot of pressure for us as believers uh, that when we are, are around others that are not Christians, that they are watching, and there's a, there's a pressure that we must fold to their whims or to the common, uh, the common good. But we as Christians are called to live differently, that we are called to a different standard, and our standard is found in the Word of God. That we are called to live righteous lives. That we are to live holy lives, as we've read already here in 1 Peter. That we are to live in a way that is uh, both holy, but also in loving our neighbor. And therefore, we must be willing to do good and do what is right, even when it is not the most popular thing to do. Speaking to a congregation in the first century, Peter, as we've noticed, that they were, they were experiencing true severe persecution. Now, I'm not talking what we would feign about 
persecution in these days when someone might unfollow us on Facebook. No, these people were literally, they either knew someone or they themselves were losing their livelihood or being killed because of their faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter is telling them that even in the midst of this severe persecution, you need to do good and what is right and live holy even when others are maybe falsely accusing you or telling you that you're not doing the right thing because we need to follow and represent and glorify God in what we do. You see, it's, not, it's hard because we know that sometimes that's going to lead to suffering. But that does not mean we get a pass on doing what is right. It's always right to do the right thing. Sometimes doing good and speaking up against a popular idea is unpopular. Sometimes doing good means being patient and listening. But all the time we are called to live faithful, holy lives according to the Bible, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and that we are to live that this way as love rules our hearts and we are prepared to do the right thing even when others are looking on and it's unpopular. So I believe that the challenge for us that Peter is laying out is we must do good, uh, we must do good for three different reasons. So if you're following along and writing notes, maybe on your phone or uh, on a piece of paper you brought or at home, there are three reasons that we must stand firm and do good in our world. Number one, we must do good because you have nothing to fear. We must do good because we as Christians truly have nothing to fear. Verse 13 says, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear of being intimidated. In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. And I'm going to stop right there. Now, a recent poll has said that Americans fear a lot of different things. In my household, the DEFCON 1 is called, I guess that's the highest one, is that right? Uh, when there's a spider, when there's a spider in the house, all hands on deck. This spider needs to be executed and taken out uh, because those is the dangers of our day. Uh, there are some who are scared of snakes and bees and bugs and bats and mice. I guess if you lived in a different country, it would be uh, maybe Africa, it would be lions and hyenas. And if you're in Florida, maybe an alligator or a crocodile in your backyard. But not only is it fear of animals, but there's also personal fears. There are people who are fear, fearful of strangers, of speaking in public or uh, singing in public. Uh, there are people who are scared of things that could lead to death. There are people who have claustrophobia, those who are enclosed of tight spaces, or those who are agoraphobia that has a fear of open spaces. I'm claustrophobic. Actually, we were watching a show the other night that there was someone, well, just they were, they were buried in a box, and, and the whole scene was them in that. And I literally had to fast forward through it because I could not watch it. I cannot do that. But Peter here is speaking to a fear that we have, 
when we are pressured to not do what is right. Fears can actually be summarized in two different ways. Fears that lead to death and fears that of man. Fears that worry lead to death are, are very simple. We don't want something that would, that would shorten our life. Maybe it's cancer being sat on by a hippo. But the same type paralyzation and fear and neutralization can come when we fear man and what they think of us. And the question that Peter is saying here, or what he's encouraging us here, is that how can you really be fearful if you are held by God? If God is holding us, then God calls us to live a certain way, then we are being protected by God. It is God who holds our inheritance. It is in him that we are found and that it is in him that we know no one can truly harm us. Because whether it is the fear of death, we know that he holds our future, or whether it's the fear of man, well, he, other people are not who, who we, holds our acceptance. It is God himself. Peter actually connects very wisely this idea in verses 10, 11, and 12, which we didn't read. We read that last week. Uh, that quoted Psalm 34. And Peter continues that idea in asking the logical question or saying this, do not be intimidated or shamed for doing the right thing according to God because it is God who holds us. Let me just read a little bit of Psalm 34, and maybe we can understand this attitude or this, this hope that we have that should drive us to not be intimidated and not to fear. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Brother and sister, this is, this is really the motivation for us to not fear. That we dive longingly into the love and acceptance and grace and, and power and protection that comes from the Lord. That Maybe have you tasted and seen that he is good and that if you have, that it protects your heart and your mind from fearing those around you, fearing intimidation as it says that those would fear. Have you tasted and found him to be good? Do you abide in his love? If you do, then you learn to fear him and not people. Fear him and know, acknowledge him and not death. Jesus even said in Matthew 10, 28, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. See, brothers and sisters, we are called to fear the Lord. Most of what is called today, we say persecution, 
is really more inconvenience. We make a quick excuse not to share the gospel because we're fearful to put a relationship on the rocks. Friends, that's inconvenience, not persecution. We don't lovingly correct sin in someone because it's not popular. Because, and I might get unfriended on Facebook. Brothers and sisters, that's inconvenience. That's not persecution. Our brothers and sisters around the world are truly losing their lives for proclaiming the resurrected Jesus. Let us not wear some badge of persecution because somebody says something bad in our comments on Twitter. We need to understand that we must be bold and not fearful and proclaiming the goodness of God that we must live a holy life even when it's contrary to everyone around us. Understand that God will provide for you when you are obedient and, and following him. Understand that God will provide and care for you even if you lose your job for not participating in unethical behavior. Understand and trust that you will find more love and acceptance in God when you stand up for Christ than you will for any acceptance in the world. Let's take it from Peter. Peter who wrote this, remember? Peter, Jesus said, you will deny me three times. Peter said, no, I'll never do that. And what do we read? What did Peter do? Even a, a maidservant Peter couldn't stand up to. But when he saw the resurrected Jesus, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, even though he couldn't stand up to a maidservant, he was willing to stand up before the high courts and say, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Brothers and sisters, we need to have that same boldness. And we need to trust that even if our lives or our acceptance is being threatened, that we must trust in God because we have nothing to fear. Second, we need to do good because it gives an opportunity to share our hope in Christ. Verse 15 says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord is holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Peter leaks chapter 4 in these verses that we might live a holy, consistent life before people, that we might display the glory of God and that others would want to know more how we have that hope in Christ. Here in verse 15, he says, be prepared to give a reason. This is the Greek word apologian, which we get the word apologetics. And it is the study of the reasoning for our faith. People who study apologetics want to know how to reason about our faith against those who, who doubt Christianity. 
And so we must be prepared to give a reason. When we are willing to stand up for ethical behavior, we need to say, why are you doing that? Be prepared to answer that. When you are hopeful, when the world is scared of a virus and you seem patient and calm, when they say, well, why are you patient and calm? You can have the opportunity to give your hope in Christ. But we must be ready to be prepared as we live a patient, loving, holy life according to God, that we are then given this wonderful opportunity to speak the truth about the gospel. You see, fear of man will keep us quiet, but God's love will open our mouths when we get the opportunity. And so it's important for us to be prepared that we are studying the scriptures, that we are spending time learning how to defend our faith or at least have reasons for our faith. But may we not speed past the reasoning of our faith and forget the most important step, which is reminding ourselves and reminding the world the power of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us not skip the part that when people ask us, uh, what, how do you have this hope that we first go to the Jesus Christ who was on the cross, who died for us and was resurrected from the dead three days later. We need to understand that we have the power of the gospel to proclaim that the Spirit of God will use it and draw people to themselves. May we be faithful and quickly at sharing the gospel. May we follow Paul's lead as he stood before King Agrippa to be clear about Jesus. In Acts chapter 26, he said, To this very day I've had help from God, and I stand and testify, both small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses would, said would take place, that the Messiah would suffer, and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to the people and to the Gentiles. Paul knew that before he stood before Agrippa that his most important thing is to proclaim the excellencies of whom he has faith in and Jesus Christ. How often is your conversations salt and light? How often do you divert conversations to the hope that we have in the gospel? But let us be guided also by verse 16. As you do this, do this with gentleness and respect. Brothers and sisters, we should not be known by being jerks for Jesus. Winning an argument will not win a soul. Understanding that a gentle answer turns away wrath. And unfortunately, too many Christians are willing to, to put down people or put aside people who might have differing opinions. We must understand that, that we as Christians are called to represent Christ rightly and gently and understandingly, just like Jesus. Unfortunately, social media is a cesspool, and during these last six months, it has brought to the top the, the, the vile nature that, unfortunately, even Christians are a part of. And I'm going to be, we, we know this, that no one has gone to social media to say, here, please change my mind. <laughs> it's not an argument that ever is going to change the mind of someone. But I wonder how much damage has been done by our witness, by the attitudes and the way that we talk on there. 
Yeah, I trust in the sovereignty of God. I know that God will even use our, our, our ugliness sometimes. Even despite our ugliness, he will still use it. But how often does our behavior as off-putting for someone to hear the grounds and hear the wonderful goodness of Jesus? Instead, maybe we should consider our gentleness and respect. I just heard from a pastor the other day who was willing to share his online stream on social media. He's been cultivating a gentleness and a place to people to hear about Jesus. And he shared uh, his church, uh, it wasn't the pastor, it was a, a, a person at church, shared his online stream. Uh, and one of his friends and his wife watched the online stream and got saved. And uh, just uh, the first time the church opened during this pandemic, they were both baptized. But in the midst of this, two weeks after this couple was saved, they learned that the husband had terminal cancer. And throughout just a few weeks ago, this husband went to be with the Lord. Just think about this, friends. Time is urgent. The time is now to share the gospel. To say that I can be ugly today and maybe be nice tomorrow is not an option. We must be urgent with sharing this good news. We must be urgent to, to, to not be fearful and, and share the gospel lovingly and gently because God is using it to save lives. You may be the greatest Christian a person will ever meet in their whole lives. Do you, do you ever realize or think about that, that, that how you live and how you practice and how you follow Jesus may be the only Christian or Jesus they ever encounter? And if it is, what definition of Christianity are they walking away with by talking and meeting with you? Will they get a sense of God's character? Will they feel loved and accepted and healed and drawn to God? Well, Peter is saying that we must be ready to give the hope for the reason, the reason of the hope that is in us. And we must do so with gentleness and respect, even if we are falsely accused and it leads to suffering. And that's what leads to number three. Do good during and when it leads to suffering. We need to do good during and when it leads to suffering. The reason why we're gentle and we show respect is so that when people accuse us of something, they're, they're rejecting the gospel and not our behavior. That they're not rejecting the wrong that we're doing or the evil that we're doing but instead, they're, they're saying no to Jesus. If our behavior gets in the way of the message, then we've lost the opportunity. And so here, the reminder for us is that we must do good even if it leads to suffering. There are times, Peter is clear, that, that even when we do it all right, we're going to suffer. That we're still going to be rejected. And that we're going to be put to shame. But he says for it is better to suffer for doing good if it should be God's will than for doing evil. 
You see, we know as Christians that it is part of being a Christian that we will sometime, in some way, we will suffer. That there is reason, he says, for, for it was better. So for, what is that pointing to? We always look back. For it is this suffering or this reason why we're suffering that we understand that we will suffer for doing good rather than evil. Why will we do this? Because Jesus has already walked the road marked with righteous suffering, and it was the pathway to his vindication and glory. That's verse 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring to you God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. You see, we understand that it is in suffering that Christ was vindicated for his life, that he received forgiveness, that he, the, the forgiveness that he earned for us, that he might bestow upon his righteousness to us. It is in the glorious good news of the gospel that Jesus suffered for us. And because of this, we must know we will suffer, but that suffering has a purpose. Karen Jobes, a commentator, writes, If suffering is within God's will, it is also within God's sovereign control. And thus Christian suffering is determined not by the will of one's adversaries, but by the will of one's heavenly Father. And so why should we keep doing good? Well, it's, it's not because we're fearful of others and what they might do to us. But know that our suffering is intended for the glory of God. But then Peter says something interesting that has been debated for centuries that maybe might encourage you today. Verse 19, it says, In which he also went to make proclamation to the spirits in prison who were in past were disobedient when God patiently walked in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, that eight people were saved through water. Let me just stop there. This is something that has been debated. Some will say that Jesus descended into hell, that he went down, and, and that those people back who, were, who had not heard the gospel during Noah's time would preach to, to kind of give a second chance uh, at the gospel or being saved. That is not what Peter is saying here. What is Peter is saying here is who was rejecting God in those days? Well, one of them, we can go, go back to Genesis and there were these, uh, uh, the, the spirits uh, from heaven that had rejected God and who were, who were put down to earth as punishment and who were, the, the Bible says, were having relations with humans and, and that there was great violence and wrath and rejecting the way of God. Jesus is saying, and Peter is saying, that he has made proclamation of his, of his victory over them. Meaning that Jesus is ultimate victor. And that if we are suffering today, who can be against us? Who can hurt us? Who can harm us? Because the ultimate victor, Jesus Christ, is our king. And even greater hope that he says baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not in a way that removes dirt from the body, but is a pledge of good conscience towards God. What is it that we say baptism does? Baptism does not save us. 
It is a representation of what God has already done in our hearts. That we are buried in the likeness of his death and we are raised to walk in newness of life. So therefore, our hope is an arisen Savior. That we and his inheritance, inheritance is ours. That we will be with him in heaven forever. And therefore, there is now no condemnation for anyone in Jesus Christ. There is no person here on earth. There is no false accusation Satan can bring. There is nothing that we can't do but be trusting in the ultimate victory and our victory in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we should not fear, but continue doing right in the eyes of God. So we can face suffering as Christians with confidence rather than panic and hope rather than despair because the road marked with Christian suffering is no matter what the twists and turns are, is the road to victory. And the God who vindicated Jesus will vindicate you and sustain your faith until that day. Peter's already told us this in chapter 1. You rejoice in this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by, refined by fire, may result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you are not living for this world. You're living for honor in the next. So brother and sister, keep doing good. Keep pursuing holy lives. Speak the truth in love. Live in a way that honors God and not the world. Live at peace with everyone and be prepared to share the hope that is in you in Jesus Christ. Will you not fear today? Will you follow Jesus? Maybe today you need to trust in Christ. Maybe you have heard today that Jesus Christ holds your future. I encourage you to trust in Christ who has died for your sins that you might be saved, that the victory in eternity will be yours. Maybe you need to follow as now that you've been saved that your next step is baptism. Maybe you need to show the world that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to join a church to be around other believers that can encourage you when you are tempted to fear in this world that they might come alongside of you and pray and hold you up and keep you going even when it's hard to follow Jesus. Well, today... Uh, if you're downstairs or in the room, I'm going to be at the next steps desk right outside these double doors or to the left. And if you'd like to talk to someone about salvation or church membership or being baptized or just need prayer, make your way over there. We would, I would love to talk to you and meet with you there. But I encourage you today, brothers and sisters, do not fear. Live for God. Do what is right. Do what is good and not fear this world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this reminder to do good and to not fear, but to trust in you. May we live for your goodness, that we have tasted and seen that you are good. 
and that you are reward and that you are the righteous one. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, maybe someone here, that it's been hard to live for you and to, and, and to follow you because of pressures from maybe inside the home or the family. Maybe it's been difficult to follow Jesus faithfully because of the pressures of others at work or at school. I pray, God, that they would not be fearful, but do what is right in your eyes. God, I pray for us to be a, a Christian that stands for your gospel, a church that stands for your word, and that even during times of suffering, we will stand for you. In Jesus' name, amen.